Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. So I get the great privilege to introduce uh, another pathway speaker to us this morning. We're going to be hearing from that guy, John Yoder. Uh, uh, we heard from Helene, his wife, on Wednesday. They are visiting us from their home in Atmore, Alabama. But uh, John grew up in Delaware. I meant to get the county, one of those three great counties from Delaware. Which one was it, John? Sussex County, Delaware. Check that out. Uh, he attended Rosedale uh, for two summer sessions. We used to have summer sessions, and he was here for two of them, and then he was here also in the regular academic year, 76-77, which is where I first met him when, when he looked like that. He earned his bachelor's from Bucknell University, and then he graduated from medical school at the University of Alabama in 1983. These are things I learned from the interweb. <clears throat> his specialty is in family medicine. Uh, he's been practicing mostly in Atmore for about 40 years, plus or minus, mostly at his own practice, but also in association with our local hospital. Uh, more recently, uh, he's been practicing in a series of international assignments, some months long, some weeks long, probably some days long, I don't know. But as a physician, uh, John is respected and trusted by many people, including our own family. Our oldest son, when he heard that uh, John and Helene were here, remembered that John's hands were very gentle when he was being examined. Uh, our daughter uh, experienced a crisis while we were living here. And from Atmore, on a weekend, John found a physician in Akron who would help us when we could not find anyone to help us in this area. We are eternally grateful for that, John. Hmm. Didn't mean for that. Um, our youngest uh, was experiencing a difficulty, and we were just biding our time, but we called John, and he said, you better take him to the ER. That was excellent advice. So we owe, we owe a great deal uh, to John as a physician. But in other matters, I want to say he is uh, a great friend to have. We have shared many breakfasts. I get, I get grits and biscuits and eggs and sausage uh, sort of in the brain when I think about breakfast with John. Uh, he is a passionate birder, once called us and said, there are painted buddings over here in the pasture, don't you want to see them? And we did, and they were beautiful. He's a great traveler, a great hiker, a great adventurer, uh, and as a Christian, I would look to John to see an example of someone who has a long obedience in the same direction. So I think it's a great privilege that we have to hear from John this morning. Dr. John, please come. Would you welcome him? I would like to express appreciation for our time here. It's been very special to meet most, a lot of you and talk and uh, just experience the passion of youth again of trying to serve the Lord in best way you can. And so that's been very special. Looking at that picture reminded me, well, two things. How did I ever get married, number one? And also um, <laughs> those glasses were the source of one of my worst embarrassments here at Rosedale. Um, they were... Uh, non-breakable glasses. I don't know why. And I could just bend the lens, I mean, the, the, the whatever the side pieces are called, around, and, and it was very impressive to most people. 
So I did that in the middle of a class here at Rosedale, and they broke into a thousand pieces. Uh, so I went the last part of my term without very good glasses, one-sided. Anyway, those are some bad memories. Um, I will uh, start by saying I was born and uh, raised in Greenwood, Delaware, and I'm the fourth of seven children. And um, you get to guess which one I am. This is my father, who was a pastor in the Conservative Mennonite Conference, Jesse Yoder. Uh, he was bivocational, worked in as an electrician. And um, yeah, I'm the fat one in the front. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I'm the fourth. Um, I committed my life to Christ at age 12. Of course, there's a long process of really learning to uh, get a obedient Christian. And so um, my schooling was uh, different than my family. All my family graduated from high school, but none of them went to college. And I was graduating from something almost every two years. I graduated from Greenwood Mennonite School at, at 10th grade. I graduated from public high school at 12th. I graduated from associate degree in, uh, two years later and then Bucknell University um, two years after Rosedale. So I was embarrassed to sound, send out any graduation announcements because I was always graduating from something. Um, and before I start, I'd like to point out a couple problems when we're talking about pathways, how you decide where to go, where, what you're doing. And there's two potential fit, pitfalls here. One is that it's sort of like the age-old dilemma as old as Job is that if God is blessing you, that you're doing the right thing, you're in God's will. And if things are going terribly, that you're not in God's will. Well, that's been disproven, but we still have that feeling. And so that's a pitfall that I want to avoid. And the other thing is that each decision you made is God's will. And all of us are human, at least most of us are. I don't see any. There are a few cats around. I don't see them. But anyway, uh, as humans, we make mistakes. We don't always follow God's will. And so I think when I share a story, it's sort of like, well, I was always following God's will. Well, there are times there were mistakes made. There are times that you don't follow. And so if you've made mistakes, which means you're human, then you should feel good about the fact that from now you can continue to follow God. That he, you can redeem any mistake in following him. So two caveats. There's a verse in Psalm 25 that says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. So enough of sermonizing there. I just wanted to get those two uh, caveats out. Like my brothers and sisters, I attended Rosedale Bible College. I was here, as Phil said, uh, three different times. I attended during what I call the long winter. That was 1976 to 1977. And this is how bad it was in the old days. The average temperature in Columbus, Ohio that month of January was 10 degrees. And the snow was all the way up over the chapel roof. Phil will corroborate that. And so we built this huge cave that had several rooms. You could, you know, you could have had an igloo there in the side of the chapel. I do remember one night, it was 20 degrees below zero and the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour, and uh, there was a intoxicated man who had worn his little tires down to nubs trying to get out of a snowbank in front of the boys' dorm. So I don't know what would have happened if we wouldn't have helped him out of his situation. He might have been frozen in the morning, I'm not sure, but uh, we got him some help. So it was the long winter. 
I was an exemplary student here, except for the scandal. And the scandal is um, something you find out from Mr. Phil Weber. Um, you know, I confessed that in front of chapel compulsorily. So I don't think I'll dwell any further on that one. <clears throat> RBC was a uh, place where I um, formed a lot of my uh, ideas about uh, faith, and I really appreciate that. It's also where I met my wife, Dawn Good, as she was from Mississippi. And while I was here in Mosedale, I had a number of vocations in mind. I like teaching, and my teaching runs in my family genes, a lot of teachers. I also had an uncle, Uncle P.T. Yoder, who was a missionary doctor in, in Ethiopia for 20 years, and he was an example to me of somebody who used medicine to further God's kingdom. And so those two things were in my mind, and I didn't really know where to go, uh, what to choose, what, which way to uh, go. April 24th, 1977 was a day in our family we'll always remember because I was at United Bethel uh, Church Sunday evening when I got the news that two of my brothers were killed in a car wreck. That would be Robert and Joseph, the two below me. And uh, that particular um, event changed my life in a lot of ways. My parents were badly injured and also my younger sister. And the next two months I spent in a hospital visiting my parents who were in the hospital, my sister. In those days they would keep you forever. And I think in these days they probably stayed two weeks, but uh, then it was like two months. So as I saw doctors come in, nurses interacting with my parents, with my sister, I was drawn to the medical field. And because of that, I went ahead and applied to Bucknell University, thinking it would help me get into medical school better. That's in Pennsylvania. And I think it was uh, a factor in me being able to enter University of Alabama in Birmingham. By that time, Dawn and I were very serious, and we decided or I decided if I'm going to continue this relationship, I should be further south and not a thousand miles away. So I applied to the University of Alabama. I didn't meet criteria, but God worked a, worked a, a, a really miracle to get me in there. And so I was a, a, accepted at the University of Alabama. And while there, um, Dawn and I got married and uh, we had four uh, lovely little children, although this is very long time ago. So uh, my old son Robert is turning 39 this in just a few days. So uh, that's a while ago. So um, medical school and residency, I would decide to go into family practice. I like being around people, like serving people and, and uh, radiology or some non-contact uh, medical field did not seem right for me. So I went to uh, family practice and joined a practice that could do maternity, OB, for three years. And so in this practice, I was um, learning a lot of things that I would use later in Africa. I never knew that. But um, because after about two and a half years there, we were attending a church. Uh, we were, there were no Anabaptist churches around. And uh, my parents were visiting, and this made it more acute for me because they handed each one of us a flag. I was close to July 4th, handed each one of us a flag and we were supposed to wave it during certain songs in church. And of course, my parents totally refused. I waved half-heartedly, 
but decided that perhaps an Anabaptist church would be more to my liking. And so we investigated and moved to Atmore when an opening uh, came up, and that's where we've been most more or less ever since with a very good Mennonite community that has nurtured our family, been responsible for our family's um, continued serving the Lord, I, I would say. So, um, yeah, don't hand out American flags to your parishioners if, if you do have a, if you become a pastor, is what I would say. But that's, I'm off the subject again. As part of the uh, moving to Atmore, I was part of a group practice. And although I liked group practice, you have somebody to call on call for you. The problem was often the way people are treated in a medical, you know, medicine is, is a, is a, a money-making business in a sense. And so to treat the medicine as, as a profit-making uh, business often had some things that made me go against how I believed. And so I went in on, uh, in 2000, I went into a solo practice and then I could make my own rules and um, treat people, I would say with compassion, if they couldn't pay a bill, we'd write it off, we could treat them free and we would not send them threatening letters for, you know, if you don't pay by the first of the month, we're gonna take your children. So you, we were very, uh, I would say those kinds of things uh, based on maybe more Christian principles, the way I, I, I would like to practice. And that, that was really special in, in, in my practice there. Um, I've got a number of asides, and this is another one, but one of the biggest gods I see in America and in other parts of the world, but particularly in America, is consumerism. And you make decisions based on the bottom line, money. And I really feel like that's a real uh, detriment to really following God where he wants you to go. And so, you know, mammon or money determines many answers to questions, and, and I would joke in Africa and here that the answer to any question is money. For example, you could say, why is this beloved brother in church working for a business that compromises his faith? And the answer is, of course, money. And so I, I really want to encourage you not to be a slave to the God of consumerism. That's our, one of our number one gods in America. Anyway, ventures into mission. Um, our family went on three separate trips to Costa Rica. We took the youth group two times with that and uh, really enjoyed being in a different setting. And my wife and my wife Dawn and I talked about going into missions and I set an artificial date of 50 by uh, that when I was 50 as, um, as a time and uh, time kind of went and went past that and um, the plan seemingly derailed completely when she was struck by lightning. In 2009. So the, de <clears throat> the devastation of that time was unbelievable. Not just for me, our many friends. A verse that was read to me by our pastor that night. It was this Psalm 62, 11. I still love to read it. 
One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, love, Lord, is unfailing love. And the power of God and the unfailing love of God are two things that I want you to know, that it's there. At that point, uh, dawn was only 24 hours from eternity, but I felt enveloped by the love of God. Excuse me, Yoder's cry, so... Uh, Seeking the Lord for future, I turned to Scripture, to songs and to friends and family. My children were inspiring to me as well. Most of them were semi-independent. Semi and um, about six months after Dawn's death, I still grieving, I went on a trip with an optometry medical team organized by Levi Miller. Some of you may know him. Uh, it was quite a healing time for me because on this trip, there were two bachelor um, not bachelor farmers as in Lake Bobagon, but bachelors that were very well adjusted. They had never been married. They were older than I was, old as anybody older than you. So they were older than I was. And I decided these are happy, healthy, fun-loving guys that have lived all their lives singly. And they love the Lord. They are doing what they love to do. And it was an example to me, and I decided right then, I said, if I never get married again, I can serve the Lord the same way I served him before. And that became sort of the impetus for furthering my medi uh, medical mission. And so um, we started doing, or I started doing, because uh, I was by myself, started doing more medical mission trips and making plans to shut down the office and let somebody else take over. Uh, this is me in front of the office that we started in uh, Atmore. Went on many trips uh, uh, to primarily Central and South American countries. This is a trip to Honduras. The man in the red shirt is Jay Weber's grandpa. So, um, yeah, Jim Weber, one of my best friends. So we went on several trips together. Actually, Phil's brother, and I'm sorry to not leave you out of the picture completely. Um, went to Peru, to Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, even uh, Uganda was included in that as I visited uh, missionaries that were uh, translating the Bible in uh, Uganda and uh, Wycliffe. This is the Ik tribe in northeast uh, Uganda. These short-term assignments were useful in helping me see that longer periods might be better. <laughs> in other words, you get there for two weeks, you leave, and, and have you changed anything? And so God miraculously provided the local hospital wanting to buy my practice, and they had two doctors to take my place. And that transition occurred perfectly in timing of God, 2012. And um, the following, about two months later, I was working in oh, some Peru trips, I forgot. Um, if God ever wants to call me to Peru, I will say yes, because it's so beautiful there. But uh, yeah, um, I have worked there a number of times, but he hasn't called me yet there. Um, so uh, two months later, after shutting down my practice, I was headed to Guinea-Bissau in a four-month stay at a medical clinic in Cattell. And this is one of my patients there, a little girl with heart disease that um, she loved me to death. I don't know why. Uh, she was. She had a very severe heart problem. Normally, those kinds of things would be fixed in America. There's not much hope in in Africa for somebody with this kind of medical problem. And she died a few 
I think a few weeks after I left Guinea-Bissau, so it was sad. And yet you realize the limitations. I loved working there in a clinic in a very isolated village there. And so it was, it was a, my first extent of going longer than two or three weeks. And so it was a beautiful time of learning more, relating more. In fact, one of the fellows that I related to was a very strict Muslim. His father was the chief. And um, I'm not taking any credit, but he became a Christian in the last, uh, last year. His wife and children immediately left him, went back to her family. And just in the last month, his wife has rejoined him. And so that's really a, a, a really amazing answer to prayer. And he's such a, such a blessing to me as a Christian because we related well, we were very good friends, but he was Muslim and I was Christian. And so there was that little barrier. So yeah, God answers prayers in amazing ways. And um, sometimes the answer comes, in this case, uh, what is it, 10 years ago. So yeah, 10 years later. So that's, that's how God answers prayer. Uh, the following year, I was in assignment with Peru again with um, Eastern Mennonite Missions. Again, three, three months in Peru. Again, I'm trying to get God to call me there, but he doesn't. And so um, I even went on a, a long uh, excursion into the Colca Canyon, which is the deep, one of the deepest canyons in the world, about 10,000 feet deep. And we walked from village to village. And so Phil talked about uh, liking the adventure. This is like walking the Inca Trail, except uh, you do medicine at the end. And there were some amazing stories that I could tell you. I could tell you lots of amazing stories, but I see the time is going on. So I will leave that. But to walk in, in, in the middle of a huge canyon going from villages that for all intents and purposes are totally isolated, you get there by foot, was quite an experience. By 2014, my daughter Kristen was serving in Word, with Word Made Flesh in Sierra Leone. And she was a missionary there for about five years, working in a slum. And so I decided to visit her in 2014 for uh, six weeks. And I don't like to sit around, so I volunteered to work in the health clinic there. And little known to me, um, I would meet my future wife there, Helene. She was working also in the same slum doing research for her doctorate. And uh, we were, our paths were thrown together. It's seemingly randomly. I found out later it was not so random, and you can ask about that. But um, there, were some, there were some manipulations going behind the scene. But maybe it was God. I think it was people. But anyway, I'm very glad. <laughs> the, yeah, I'm very glad that the, that was being done. We didn't really have any major spark there, although we did kiss, only because I was used to kissing people on the cheek from Peru. And so I you know, sort of did that. <clears throat> but our first kiss was long before we even knew each other. Yeah. <laughs> While I was in uh, uh, visiting my uh, daughter, that's my daughter Kristen there on the left, uh, that's in Sierra Leone, uh, we also met a future RBC student. And um, I, I wonder if you can pick her out in the, the four little there. Um, Jada was, yeah, Jada was there as well. She's the one in the blue shirt. So um, uh, Jada went a long way to come here. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed my week that I spent in Guinea-Bissau uh, trying to learn the Creole back again and then relating to the Baker children. So 
I told them lots of stories, most of which were true. <laughs> so um, in the fall of 2014, I uh, was still searching for a long-term work with EMM, and so I journeyed to Bosnia. And Helene and I had started writing a little bit, and uh, in August I said, I think God is wanting us to be a bit... I'm not sure how I phrased it. I'm sure it was awkward because I'm awkward. And so um, that we want to be a little closer. And so I decided to visit her in Holland, in the Netherlands, on the way to Bosnia to check out this uh, new, new opportunity. And um, I don't know. I don't believe in love at first sight, but certainly those five days were, were pivotal. It was very obvious to me after five days in Holland that we were going to get married. In fact, I even told her as much. But I said, it's way too early to ask you because you would probably say no, just because it's five days. And so I waited a whole nother month. So, hey. <laughs> Independently, we had both decided to work in Ebola treatment because that was ravaging Sierra Leone. And so I had applied to work in an Ebola treatment center and she applied to work in a uh, Ebola treatment, well, Ebola, organization that was working with Ebola vic victims as well. And so we both left in uh, January of uh, 2015 and spent three months working there. Again, a very difficult time when uh, two-thirds of your patients are dying. It's uh, very sad and it's uh, difficult. And um, I didn't really worry about dying like Helene did, but we knew many medical people that uh, had died from this uh, epidemic, including many doctors and uh, even some of the uh, nurses we worked with uh, were not uh, immune from the disease. So that was, uh, yeah, it was difficult. We got married soon after that, went to Alabama to meet the children and make, uh, well, she had already met everybody, but to learn to know the grandchildren and again, explored God's call. And we went back to Sierra Leone in 2017. Uh, oh, more slides, thank you. Oh yeah, Ebola treatment centers, yes. This is what she looked like, either in a COVID ward or in a uh, Ebola treatment center. Helene didn't have to dress up like that. So 2017 to 2020, God led us to Sierra Leone again and to a small uh, hospital in the middle of uh, the backwoods of Sierra Leone, and uh, we worked with United uh, Brethren in Christ, who established the hospital 50 years ago, and there had been no doctors or medical personnel there for 30 years because of the Sierra Leonean war and just the whole disorder in the country. So they were attempting to get the hospital running again. God again works because there was a surgeon there, uh, a local surgeon, he was fired about the week before I left to go over there. And I'm not a surgeon, but I've done C-sections and things of surgical nature. And suddenly I'm thrown into circumstances that would have been over my head without my previous training. God orchestrated that, um, you know, 30 years before. And so those are some of the hardest years of our um, of my life working in a situation where often the answer is we don't have the resources we need to treat this. Uh, we saw children die every month uh, from a treatable disease, malaria, and they would come 
too sick to be helped as they, they got to the hospital. And so I think there were times that we had 10 to 15 children die every month. Wailing was constant, you know, when somebody dies, there's a large cry goes up. And so it was, it was a depressing place, not only spiritually, but also physically and emotionally. And uh, we decided to extend our term. We were committed for two and worked for three. But then at the end, I think we were just totally drained. I was drained, came back here to a different America. We left in 2017 and came back in 2020 and decided that maybe we should have stayed in Sierra Leone. But uh, anyway, we, we negotiated. That was difficult as well. You know, God calls you to some place and there's also this re-entry that needs to occur. And so that was a very difficult time for me personally. And uh, Helene helped me through that. I think the music we listened, I listened to music, I listened to God's word and it spoke to me and kind of helped with that uh, transition that was necessary. And last year uh, during the COVID response, I had read that there was a great need in Peru. And so, you know, that every time I hear Peru, I'm saying, okay, okay. So, uh, uh, I called, well, we know some missionaries in Peru that work at this hospital, Diospiciana in the mountains of Peru. And we called them, and because of our contact, the next day, the director of the hospital, the founder of the hospital called me and wanted us to come that day, or soon, as soon as we could, to help them out in their COVID. So in just a short time, we were on the plane and, and spent three months in, uh, in the mountains of Peru at a hospital that does God's work in the same way you tried to do in, in Sierra Leone, except they have more money and they also have more resources. So it was nice to treat in a mission setting where things were available. And so this is uh, last year. So what is for this year or for the future? That's unknown uh, since Helene got her doctorate. When I got back home and uh, realized, you know, it's not just Africa where there are poor people. It's not just in places that are underserved where there's problems obtaining health care. And so I started volunteering at this clinic in Mobile, Alabama, which is uh, called Victory Health Partners, a Christian health center, and it treats people without insurance. And for example, uh, we can get free medicines or very nearly free for almost all of our patients. And that's such a boon for people that would normally be paying $400 a month or whatever for medicines. And so it's a big, big ministry. You can do something here stateside. I'm not trying to say that you're needing to be abroad to serve God. You can serve wherever. This is our beautiful family, uh, four children, all of whom came to Rosedale and most of them graduated. Um, we've had a recent... Um, crisis, which has kept us from going back to Sierra Leone. Uh, <clears throat> the pointer is on. Oh, you don't have a pointer on yours, do you? Oh, it did. Okay. That's uh, Michelle, my oldest son's wife. She had a cardiac arrest uh, in January at church. A lot of miraculous things happened, but she required CPR for uh, approximately 30 to 40 minutes and has some residual brain damage as she's trying to negotiate this. 
And so, because we're needed almost every day to help her, or we were sharing duties with her parents as well, uh, it has delayed us. But, you know, God's timing is always perfect. There's a reason for these things. We are grateful that in her recovery, when the first week or two, as she's comatose, we're thinking, we may, this may be as good as it gets, but she has made a huge recovery with still a lot of deficits. And so to continue to pray for Michelle, our daughter-in-law, they have two wonderful little boys, these two little boys here that we've helped with. And um, yeah, so pray for Michelle. And uh, if God wants us here to take care of Michelle, we're willing to do that. And so, yeah, we're seeking the Lord for the next step. I think uh, that concludes what I have to say, and I'd like to uh, close with a prayer, and uh, just let's pray for each one of you as you go to your uh, settings, where it's going to be, whether it's home or some other place, that God will give you direction, and he's working in your heart today, but he's also continuing each day to work. Let's pray. Father, we so thank you for how you lead through tragedy, through uh, difficulties, but also your love is always there. It stands behind us. It stands in front of us. And we are enveloped in the, the love that will never leave us. God, we pray for each student. They're going to their homes. And sometimes it's very hard to relate to uh, people back home once you've been studying God's word. And it's, um, yeah, it seems like nobody's interested in that. And so I just pray that you'd help them to be a witness wherever they go. I pray for direction and pray for you uh, leading. I pray that uh, each one of us would have a um, dependence on you through each part of our life, how you lead us, how you direct us, and how you guide us. And we ask all of this in your blessed name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.